This is the work of the living Jesus Christ. Most of you know that or you would not be here. We're carrying on the work along the lines Mr. Herbert Armstrong did and certainly almost exactly 98 or 99% of the doctrines he taught. And uh, But we grow in grace and in knowledge and we're carrying on this work following that pattern more than any other group on earth. We really are. One or two claim to be the successors of Mr. Armstrong, as you know. One has pronounced himself an apostle, <laughs> frankly, one of my former students, and another former student. I don't know what I taught these guys, but another one says he's, he's a prophet. And they say they're carrying on Mr. Armstrong's work. Well, he would not even recognize this first guy even on the street. But, I mean, the second guy, if he saw him. But uh, the other guy's at all. He would remember him, I guess. But anyway... They're doing that kind of thing, but frankly, Mr. Apartheid and I were with Mr. Armstrong thousands of hours, and he and I have discussed it, and he was one, along with me, of the evangelists that go way, way back. He went back into the middle 1950s, and I go back to 1949 and really knew Mr. Armstrong and the way he thought and what he taught, and we're carrying on that work in that way. And God is blessing that work very much, as the statistics show, and we're very grateful for that. But brethren, whenever God's work begins to grow, the work of the true church of God, Satan doesn't like that. And Satan strikes. And he has struck us recently. I had to give this information. I'm giving it in a totally different way, so don't give up and quit you office people. <laughs> but uh, I had to talk on this in the office meeting Thursday. Uh, and now about half of you here had, were not in that meeting, and you perhaps heard what happened, but I think I should cover it. I don't want to spend the whole summer on, uh, sermon on it, and I don't want to spend the whole next year on it. We're not going to do that. We're going to move forward. But I do want you to understand, and if you have particular questions, please do come up and ask me or ask Mr. Apartian or Mr. Crockett, who's here. We're the ones that know the most about it, I guess, because Dr. O'Neill and Mr. Uh, Dick Ames are out in the field today. Mr. and Mrs. Dick Ames are in Joplin, Missouri, and over in uh, uh, in, Little, in Arkansas, in the church there, northwest Arkansas. And then Mr. Uh, Dr. O'Neill is in Dallas and Gladewater, although I think they moved the service to Hawkins instead of Gladewater more recently. They're in Texas, but that's the reason they're not here today. But we know that there there is this tendency for Satan to do this again and again, and having been in the work of God for about 57 years, including my student days, I've seen that again and again and again. It's not something unusual, but it hurts us. We don't rejoice in it at all. And God tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous. We get into the kingdom of God through trials and so on. Back in First Peter, if you turn there with me, the first epistle of Peter, chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, here's what Peter told us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called you, or called us, into, as it should be, into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, God does it by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, that's kind of interesting, that expression. You're going to go into God's kingdom and that glory after you have suffered a while. And brethren, God does allow us to go through tests and tests and trials and tests. And then if you knew people, you know that. God says through much tribulation you enter the kingdom of God. If you're in God's true church, that will happen. 
after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Satan is our adversary. He will try to get at us. And anyway, and one who gets a too high opinion of himself or goes off without multitude of counsel, as often people do, they can easily get off into problems of all sorts. And as I've encouraged you, brethren, to do, and I encourage you to do again, it's not part of my sermon today and my notes, but I want to constantly tell you that, please always, always keep your eyes on the big picture. If you get your mind on little tiny picky things, you can get mad at me, you can get mad at Mr. Crockett, Dr. Vanell, Mr. Ames, any one of us. You can do that. You can get mad at some part of the gospel or the work that you don't understand. You'd better keep your mind on Christ, the living God, He is God, and on God the Father and their message and their work. Keep your mind on the big picture. And that's a very, very important thing that you all need to understand. So we now have a situation where Satan has struck again And one of our leading ministers, Mr. Charles Bryce, and his son-in-law, Larry Solomon, I think partly for family reasons, frankly, but had decided to go with his father-in-law, and they have left our fellowship at their own instigation. And they have attacked our beliefs and our practices. We did not anticipate this. We did nothing to precipitate this at all. It just came out of the blue. This past Thursday... Uh, I guess it was. I'm trying to put all the dates together. Well, it must not have been Thursday. Anyway, whenever it was, we received this letter, package in the mail, FedEx, with four identical letters. One, it was to our headquarters evangelists. One letter was to me, one to Mr. Ames, one to Mr. Crockett, and one to Mr. Mr. Uh, uh, not Mr. Crockett, Mr. Apartian, and the other to Dr. Winnale. And so we all got these letters from Mr. Bryce spelling out how he was upset at us all of a sudden and had all these different ideas. As Mr. Ames said in talking about this, Charles was with us on the Council of Elders for about eight years and never made an issue, never made an issue of these points. Why all of a sudden now, out of the blue, does he do that? And by the way, he's not been on the Council for the last 16 months because when I did dismiss him for good reason. He didn't just fit in that particular job. He didn't have any big heresy, but he just didn't fit there at all and was unhappy there and asked to go back to Texas a couple of times when I have the letter showing that. I did send him back to Texas and brought Dr. Winnale here to be director of the ministry, and I'm very glad I did. But at that point in time, why, he had never brought up these things as an issue at all. So he was unhappy and perhaps upset about that. But at any rate, this letter came right out of the blue. And uh, I want to read you a little bit of this letter so you can understand as a church, our headquarters church. I put some of this, by the way, in a four-page letter that is in the mail right now. It all got mailed out yesterday, I think. And uh, so you'll be getting it hopefully by next Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. But at any rate, it takes some time. But Mr. Uh, Bryce wrote me this. He was concerned about us veering off more and more off track, and he found some troubling facts. Number one, LCG. Those of you who are new, that means us, Living Church of God, okay? LCDG teaches that we live in a time of the greater church of God, 
end quote, made up of different branches or church groups. These branches don't meet together and they have different teachings, yet they're still the true church of God. Well, we don't all say that they're perfect or this or that, that they are members of God's church and they do keep the Sabbath, the holy days, and believe a lot of the things we do, although not as fully as we do, and they're not doing the work in the same way. But we don't condemn them, and you know that. So he thinks that's bad. Number two, LCG teaches the use of makeup is not wrong and that is an individual choice about personal grooming. And then he quotes from Mr. Armstrong, where Mr. Armstrong said it was bad way back, first of all, in 1954 when his daughter Beverly got all upset at him and they had this feud and he did the first letter. Then later, we have it, and I have it on my desk, perhaps should have brought this here today, but I'll publish that. I guess I should. The uh, letter he wrote for the bulletin, the ministerial bulletin of 1974, where he repudiated that and changed back again. And then at the end of his life, he changed back again. That's the only doctrine he ever went back and forth on three times. Since that's one of Mr. Bryce's major issues, let me explain that, brethren. For 20 years, 20 years from 1934 to 1954, we in the radio church of God, the women could wear makeup. About half did, half didn't. He told them not to condemn each other. It wasn't a major issue. And they got along basically all right until this incident with his daughter Beverly for 20 years. And then he had this big upset with Beverly. And I mean that. I was right there and heard him do it. He's a very open man. <laughs> he told us, I'm mad. And so he's going to make Beverly straighten up by writing this letter and so on. But at any rate, he changed and so then for 20 years, from 54 to 74, the women in the church didn't wear makeup. And then in 74, he decided that that was foolish because by now his daughter Beverly was traveling with him to meet King Leopold and Dr. Singh and a lot of great world leaders all around the world. And she was his hostess because his wife was dead and he had not remarried. And he told a number of us, and I think he referred to it in the letter, he said, Rod, he said, I don't want Beverly to look like a Salvation Army woman. <laughs> he used that term himself. That's what he brought up. And he said, she needs, we need to be well-groomed and wearing makeup in moderation is a sign of good grooming. And it's not a sign of a harlot in our society today at all. And I want Beverly not to, I don't think our women ought to fit in and they can be better able to be ambassadors for Christ if they don't stand out as looking, you know, whatever. He didn't condemn those who didn't wear it, but he felt it was just fine and better certainly for many of our leading women to wear it as they were going to be dealing with outside business people and with the world and be an ambassador since God did not condemn it in the Bible. And by the way, I don't have time for a separate sermonette on this or I'll get way off here if I start on my sermonette. I'll have to give a whole sermon or write an article on it. But you can look at dozens and dozens and dozens of statutes of God when Israel came out of Egypt God told them, don't go back to the ways of the Egyptians. And he spelled it out in quite a number of ways. And he gave them dozens of statutes. He told them, if you move a bird's nest, here's how to do it. Little tiny things. If you relieve yourself outside the camp, take a, take a shovel, you know, and cover it over. Sanitation. If you have a flat roof, build a railing around it so people don't fall off. All kinds of things. He said, no markings, no tattoos, no cuttings on the body. You say, did he cover anything like that? Yes, he spelled that out. No markings and tattoos on the body. 
So he could have gone ahead right there and said no makeup. But the point is, read these scriptures. And if any of you are not familiar with the statutes of God, where he spells out the law of God in detail, in the sense of the physical aspect of it, in Exodus 20 to 24, write it down, Exodus chapter 20 to 24, then Leviticus chapter 16 through 27, Numbers chapters 18 and 19, and 27 through 36, and then Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy chapters 12 through 28. Read it, the statutes. Where do you find all the statutes against makeup? If you find them, you let me know. (laughs) I'll be glad. I'll give you $1,000 if you can find a statute against makeup. Say, boy, that's a lot of money. Well, it'd be worth it. It would clear it up, make it all very simple for us. So you just find that if you can. There's not one statute that says thou shalt not wear makeup or thou shalt not do this or do that. Not one. So if God had concern about that, since the Israelitish women must have been wearing some as they came out of Egypt and did lots of other things, he would have said something. But he did not. As they say, the silence is deafening. The silence is deafening. God did not talk about that. You say, well, he didn't talk about smoking. No, but smoking definitely directly harms the body. Lots of other things. He didn't talk about drugs, but he did talk about cuttings on the body and other things that were decorative that were wrong. The Egyptians did, and he did not mention makeup at all. But anyway, then Mr. Bryce mentions the third point. LCG seems to be preaching a mixed, confusing message about the gospel. That is, that the gospel is the good news of forgiveness of our sins through Christ's sacrifice. Wow, that's bad. (laughs) You think about that. Forgiveness of our sins through Christ's sacrifice and, he admits, of the soon coming kingdom and government of God and the name of Jesus Christ. There seems to be movement toward the gospel about Christ and the gospel of salvation. Then he goes on and shows how Mr. Armstrong emphasized the kingdom of God. Well, I think all of you know that we emphasize the kingdom of God. We've been emphasizing that over and over and over and over again ever since the global church of God began 14 years ago. And just the last two or three years, as you know, I've been on kind of a kick, if you want to call it that, to say we should talk more about Christ, not less. Because all through the book of Acts... If we get back to apostolic Christianity, they talk more about Christ than we do. More about Christ. And we'd better not leave Jesus Christ out of the gospel. And I hope you all understand that, but he thinks that's a problem. Number four, LCG teaches that several church eras exist contemporaneously. Well, Mr. Armstrong did too. Ask Mr. Pardon. We both heard him say that. And that we are now living in the Laodicean era as a remnant of the Philadelphia church. Mr. Armstrong knew that the uh, Sardis era had kind of lagged over. A number of Sardis people lived right on over into what we call the Philadelphia era. And when Owen Smith and Ken Herman, who later became the registrar of Ambassador College, and I went up to Oregon the summer of 1950, he said, fellas, he said, you can attend the Seventh-day Church of God up there if you want to. I know your old car won't make it very well up to Portland or down to Eugene, so you just attend the Scrabble Hill Church. He said, I raised up that church. And he said, they still teach a lot of the truth. They teach the Sabbath, and they teach uh, clean and unclean meats, and they teach the gospel of the kingdom. 
That is, the gospel is the good news of Christ's coming government on the earth based on God's law. They don't understand the holy days, and they don't understand prophecy, the main key to prophecy, our national identity, and other things like that. He said, well, he said, they won't bother you. He said, we, I only had one year of ambassador college, but he said, they won't bother you, but he said, you might kind of worry them, and he kind of laughed, and I didn't know what he meant. But here comes Owen Smith, kind of an Oklahoma philosopher kid, just been in college one year as I had, and then Ken Herman, who'd been in two years, kind of an Iowa, uh, Wisconsin farm boy, and we came walking into the Seventh-day Church of God there in Jefferson, Oregon, and I noticed people were kind of, uh-oh, Armstrong's men have come to take over. <laughs> we were just boys. I was just barely baptized myself about six months at that time. We weren't there to take over anything. But after we'd been there two or three weeks, they, they, uh, they liked us, and we enjoyed being there with them, and they had part of the truth. So he talked about that continually, that they were an era of God's church, as you read about in Revelation chapter uh, three there, uh, describing the Sardis era. He said, you have the name of God, but you are dead. Please strengthen the things that remain that are about to die. Ooh, that's kind of a sad description, but that's just like them. If you have revisited their church, they have a little bit of truth, but they don't grow or do any real work to reach the world. Later, Mr. Bryce attacks us on, he says, LCG teaches that smoking tobacco are not the worst sins in the world which we say they're not the worst sins of the world, but are sins. He admits that. Mr. Armstrong taught that the use of tobacco is sin and must be overcome and will lead to both physical and spiritual death. He didn't categorize sin, nor should we. Well, I've never heard Mr. Armstrong say it would lead to death, and I I could ask, I think Mr. Partland agreed with that. I've never heard him say that. I know some others said the same thing. LCG teaches that meeting in halls with holiday decorations, I guess we took them out here, and religious symbols is not a problem. He says, Mr. Armstrong taught that we should come out from among them and be separate and not hold our church meetings in halls where there are pagan symbols and false religious accoutrements. But brethren, that's not true at all. That is just totally false. I was director of the ministry in the Worldwide Church of God for 12 solid years. And we met in halls, all kinds of halls, all over the world where there were like this, Masonic halls, Odd Fellows halls, some even church buildings. I know they met in a Methodist church up in San Francisco for a while. And Mr. Armstrong knew that. And we had meetings on it. And as Paul said, you know, you can eat meat that's been offered to an idol as long as it doesn't offend your brother. The world's, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Those, something, if there's some picture up here, we try to cover it over, but it can't hurt you. We're not worshiping that. We just have to find a hall to meet in rather than meeting out in a tent somewhere, if you follow me. We did that over and over and over and over all over the world. How can he say we didn't do that under Mr. Armstrong? Well, of course we did. Anyway, I don't read them all, but he describes all these terrible sins that we're in now. And frankly, a lot of it's just kind of silly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry he got upset. He says, if all of us will come to see, notice this, brethren, I'm reading this word for word, the wrong place the church is in now, and together get back to the faith once delivered, that is, back to not wearing makeup, back to not meeting in halls with any symbols, back to not preaching about Jesus Christ as part of the gospel, I guess. And not one iota short of it, we truly believe that God will pour out His blessing on the church, and so on. 
Oh, I'm sorry if he or anyone else like Dave Pack or Gerald Flurry want to get back to a 1960 version of Armstrongism as they remember it, not the true Mr. Armstrong, but as they choose to remember it and make that the gospel of salvation, God have mercy on them. That is not the Mr. Armstrong I worked with for 36 years. That is not the Mr. Armstrong Mr. Apartin worked with for perhaps 30, 30 years of his life. He was not like that. He had a big picture. He talked continually about Jesus Christ and used the term the blood of Jesus Christ and how much we need that. He did allow us to meet in different halls as we had need to meet in a place and couldn't afford to build our own building. He did not do all that stuff. So I hope you are big-minded enough to understand that and you brethren around the world who may hear this later. Now, the brethren around the world will get on my letter first, but I thought I ought to give this at least for your sake here so you would know what's going on if you hear about Mr. Bryce. As Mr. Ames said, Charles was with us on the council for eight years, and he never brought up these points. Why now? And he's concerned about our gospel. Well, brethren... I talked to Mr. Bryce after this letter. I talked to Larry Solomon, and they would not back down. And I said, Charles, won't you come out? And Dr. Winnell talked to him and sent him letters and notes and emails back and forth to both of them. Please come here and talk to us. God says in multitude of counsel, we have that. And some of our secretaries, Debbie Seen and Monica's typed some of them for me, and they know that. I'm not going to pass those out, but ask them. We wrote them these emails and letters. Please come in and talk to us. And Mr. Bryce said over and over, it's pointless. We've made our minds up. We're not going to change. And finally, the other morning, uh, I guess it was just yesterday morning, as a matter of fact, I got this email because I'd heard Mr. Solomon was kind of sorry he'd said what he did or something. So I wrote him a separate encouraging me email very kindly, said, if you really want to back down and come with us, we'd be glad to have you back. Please let me know. So he did just yesterday morning, said, no, I still believe what we talked about on the phone and I'm going to have to leave or whatever. And he said, I wish all, I appreciate working with you. He told me I like to work with you or whatever and I wish you the best. And I wrote him back an email that I appreciated working with him. He was a nice man. I wish him and his family the best. And I will pray for him and for Mr. Bryce. And I hope you do too. But they are really, I think, very, very mixed up to get back to that kind of thing, to say it's not important to include Jesus Christ as part of the gospel and all these other little tiny things in here. So I'm very sorry that they've chosen to do that, but I hope that you, brethren, can understand. So as I started to say here a moment ago, do we have then uh, a, a wrong gospel? What was the gospel that the apostles preached? I talk about apostolic Christianity. What was their gospel? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. I'm going to get a little bit of this tea up here for my throat. Here's the Apostle Paul winding up this powerful book on, to the Corinthians. He says in chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Okay, he's talking specifically about the gospel. This is the apostolic gospel. This is apostolic Christianity. He was an apostle. 
the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which you are saved. Oh, we're saved by this gospel then. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Ooh, that's part of the gospel. <laughs> Apparently, Mr. Bryce doesn't like that. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of over, uh, first of all, by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. By the time Paul wrote this, some of those original uh, brethren had died. God does let his people die. They don't all live to their 150 years old, as we know. So here was the gospel he talks about and other parts of it. So the gospel certainly includes Jesus Christ and his sacrifice And that is the gospel that Paul preached. Turn back, if you would, now to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Another important thing we need to understand as far as apostolic Christianity. Again, this is the apostle Paul. Acts chapter 28 and beginning here uh, in verse 22. He's talking to the Jewish leaders he'd brought in from all over Rome when he had his own hired house and was taken there as a political prisoner. And they ask here, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect. Now, we've been called a sect, and we will and have been called a cult, and will be, which is wrong, but they were too. We know that every word is spoken against. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. Yes, that's part of the gospel, very important persuading them, no, concerning Jesus. Oh, that's part of it too. Concerning Jesus, from both the law and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded of the things spoken and some disbelieved. And so then Paul went on and showed them the Holy Spirit, showed that they would become blind. And he said in verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they'll hear it. And when he'd said these things, the Jews departed and had great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So the two go together, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ all about Jesus Christ. They go together over and over and over again all through the New Testament. Christ is the only way we can get into the kingdom of God. And sometimes they talk about just the gospel of Christ or the gospel of grace. Most of the time they talk about the gospel of the kingdom, but always connect it with Christ. Turn back to Acts 20 now. Chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And let's begin in verse 20. Acts 20, 20. He says, he kept back nothing, he's talking here to the Ephesian elders that was helpful, he tells them, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, Paul didn't go from house to house to convert people, by the way. The uh, Jehovah Witnesses used this as their excuse to bang on doors. No, this was the Apostle Paul teaching the elders who were already ordained elders in their homes. 
He's talking to them, if you read the big earlier verses, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his message. And ha- see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my, my life dear to myself. In other words, I'm willing to die for God's work so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel. Listen, brethren, to the gospel of the grace of God. Ooh, (laughs) you see, we've emphasized the gospel of the kingdom. Sometimes the Protestants talk about the gospel of grace and that's all they talk about. But it's not wrong to say that once in a while. Yes, it does involve the grace, God's mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the ministry He received from the Lord Jesus. All ties in with Christ. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, that was again was His main thrust, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's the point, brethren. If any one of our ministers in the future, or any one of you individually, gets his feelings hurt, or gets bent out of shape, or wants to start his own work, or whatever the motivation is, I can't judge their motivations. Only God can do that. I understand that. But if they get this idea, I want to be important, I want to have my own work, anyone can grab on to one or two things and put a subtle twist on it and make it sound like the main thing. But please remember that we in this work are preaching the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. And most of you know that, the older members. But please double check it, prove it, backwards, forwards, sideways. We don't need to be afraid of what's in this book. We understand this book. I remember so often when I was first coming into the truth and later as a young minister, and I would encounter some of the uh, uh, Mormon, young Mormon missionaries, and they'd have this real exciting, they'd go bang, 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 and then you'd get them quietly aside from the crowd and ask them a couple questions that were not on their little spiel, and their mind would go blank, well, well, I've got to go. And the Jehovah Witnesses, somehow I shouldn't have let them in my home, but I was kind of bad back then. (laughs) I enjoyed arguing with them a few times when I was first learning the truth. And they have a little thin group of scriptures, you know, and you get them off of that little thin line of scriptures that they use, and then they're like the uh, drunk man Mr. Armstrong described over in the London fog. They used to have terrible heavy fogs in London because they had the incinerator burning plus the normal fog, it was really thick. And when Dick Armstrong and I got there in 1954, it was still like that, really thick. It's not even that thick today, but it was then. And this guy was absolutely drunk, and he was in the London fog, and he kept trying to go across the street, and he kept bumping into this telephone pole. He'd go here, and then go, kept bumping, and he said, lost, lost in an impenetrable forest. <laughs> the, the telephone pole was the impenetrable forest. He kept somehow bumping into that same post. Well, that's the way these guys are with the Bible. You get them away from the little spiel, and they don't really understand the Bible. They just know this little thin line of scriptures that they've been drilled on, but they haven't gone through 
as some of us had the privilege of doing, Mr. Ames and me and others, teaching Bible classes for 20 or 30, or in my case, 35 years, all the way through the Bible, and they can bring up anything from anywhere. And I don't always have the answer immediately, but I can immediately see what's wrong if they bring up something wrong and eventually prove it, because we've been through every single chapter of the Bible. You don't get lost in the impenetrable fog if you learn to read the whole Bible. So I hope all of you will do that. Read the whole Bible. Take it out of the Bible. Let the New Testament interpret the Old, of course, and the example of teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And be logical about it. And you will not get lost in the impenetrable fog. I promise you. But anyway, he said, I have not shared to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, or elders, we would say, to shepherd the church of God. So here it is again. The name of the true church was the church of God, 12 times in the New Testament, which he purchased with his own blood. Christ bought and paid for the us. That is part of the good news. Thank God our sins can be forgiven. That's a wonderful part of the good news, that our sins are forgiven. And we're reconciled to God. And then we can prepare for the coming government of God through the Holy Spirit that's been given us. But they go together. Forgiveness of sin through the precious blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then the Holy Spirit. And then we start growing and overcoming and preparing for Christ's coming kingdom. They all go right together. They're all part of the whole counsel of God. You can't rip one out of the other and say, well, this is right. The other's wrong. That's not right. For I know this, that after my departure, Paul warned them, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves. We have had men rise up, as you know, from among ourselves, not just this recent two, but others. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Please, brethren, don't get all mixed up. Don't allow yourself to be all self-willed or get your feelings or to go running off after some crazy stuff that doesn't make any sense at all. Paul told them that over and over and warned them night and day with tears. Don't do that. It'll just hurt you. We've had several men, and I'm tempted to mention their name, but some you don't know as well, but there have been five or seven I could mention over the last several years. Leave us. And where have they gone? Nowhere. Most of them are just off in a fog, so to speak, and you never hear their name anymore. You don't know what they're doing. They just disappear. God does not use them. He does not bless their work. He does not empower them. They're not part of the great work of Jesus Christ preparing the way for the second coming of Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. They have no part in that work. And they won't either until they repent. Because they've taken themselves out over their desire to be important in most cases. And that's too bad. So we do need to understand and try to get the big picture in our mind. And we should preach even more about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ (laughs) and our need for his his sacrifice and his precious blood. Turn back to Acts 2. You talk about apostolic Christianity. Here's more of it. Here's how the church of God started. 
right on the day of Pentecost. As you know, Peter's preaching here on the original day of Pentecost in the New Testament. And he says in verse Acts 2, verse 29, in this powerful sermon, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried. And then God rose, uh, said of the fruit of his body, he'd raise up the Christ. He, foreseeing this, verse 31, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, or the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we all are witnesses. This is part of apostolic Christianity, the first sermon that converted them, the gospel. Christ is alive. He's at God's right hand. Thank God. That is good news. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this. They'd seen this fire come right down from the ceiling and the gift of tongues and so on. He poured out this, which you do now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, he tells these guys sitting right there in front of him, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what should we do? And then Peter said, Repent. That's the first thing you do. Heartfelt repentance, real repentance. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of your sins, the forgiveness. I've had to have my sins forgiven. And I have to have them forgiven again and again as I confess my sin nearly every morning in my prayer. I make mistakes every day. You're going to follow Rod Meredith because he's perfect? No, he's not perfect. Mr. Armstrong was not perfect. Nobody's ever been perfect except Jesus Christ. But we're baptized for the remission of sins, and then you shall receive the gift, a precious gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises to you and to your children and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Right down to our age, as many as God will call, have to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and His authority. And all has to do with Christ and His sacrifice. That is true Christianity. Turn back to First Peter again, if you would. The first epistle of Peter, and we'll go this time to chapter 1. First Peter. I want to begin reading here. I'd like to read all these verses. I'll have to skip some probably for time's sake. But let's start right at the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion, people that have been scattered in Pontus, Galatia, various parts of the eastern Mediterranean there, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood. Ooh, no, this is important. I shouldn't make fun of that. This is important, of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It all involved Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, 
reserved in heaven for you. Is this one of those scriptures saying you go to heaven? No, all the rest of the Bible says he brings his reward with him. He comes down from heaven, but he has our positions, our future opportunity, whether it's over five cities or ten cities or whatever job we have. He and the Father are planning that out right now in heaven, and they're going to bring it back to this earth. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And this, you're not immediately saved. Interesting here, you know, they got to teaching in uh, worldwide, you're saved right now. No, salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, that's your ultimate salvation when Christ comes. When you are born of God. Now we're just begotten. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved or the margin is distressed. And we're distressed when these things hit us. It's not fun. You're distressed by various trials. Why? Why does God allow these things? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. See, God tests and tests us. That the genuineness, do you really believe there's a real God? Do you really believe that this is His Word? The genuineness of your faith will be tested like gold tried in the fire that you may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or the coming of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though you now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice that you are inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your salvation, or faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who promised or prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, God's Holy Spirit, comes from the Father. It proceeds from the Father through Jesus Christ. Christ has everything to do with the Holy Spirit as well. You'll find that in John 14, 26 and John 15, 26. Who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, all having to do with God's plan and the good news. To them as revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported uh, to you through those who preach the gospel. So here it is, the gospel to you uh, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. My brethren, you all know that one reason God calls us, and I'd like to say this to our new brethren attending here and all around the world, this church understands a magnificent, I mean magnificent, part of God's plan that no other church on earth understands except those churches that have, let's say, descended from Mr. Armstrong and his teaching. That is that God is reproducing himself. That when God says we are to be his sons, he's made us in his image and he wants us to be his full sons. And we're not going to be the total equal with God in one sense. He's always the father, the head of the family. Christ will always be our elder brother and our high priest. But we will be someday, if we really overcome, full sons of God, spirit beings of that level of existence. And when you fully understand that, that is, they're just mind-boggling. And yet it's proved over and over in the Bible. And I hope uh, you can get my booklet on that. It's called Your Ultimate Destiny. I should say our booklet. 
but, but uh, I happen to write it. Your ultimate destiny. Write and get that booklet if you're new. It spells it out all the way through in great detail. God's ultimate plan and purpose is absolutely wonderful. God's plan. So it tells about these things that even angels desire to look into. These great spirit beings look down now, and some of them are around this room, and they can see that you and I are sitting here, and we're learning and being taught, and they're watching us, they're protecting us, they're, they're concerned with us, and they see, as they see us down on our knees, perhaps in the mornings, maybe with tears in our eyes, saying, Father, help me, guide me, fashion me, mold me, they see that these lesser beings down there are being worked with. These lesser beings are being fashioned and molded to be like God. And they're beginning to grasp God's ultimate purpose. They desire to look into these things too. It's magnificent when you understand what we're called to be. That's why God has to try and test us. That's why He doesn't want us to jump the track. That's why He doesn't want us to worship Mr. Armstrong instead of worship Jesus Christ. We're not to have another God before the true God. And Mr. Armstrong would not want that. He never wanted that. So God is reproducing us and making us like He is fully. And the angels even desire to look into that. And that's a wonderful thing. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace. Yes, we're going to have grace. We're going to have forgiveness. I've got to have forgiveness for my sins every day, and so do you. That's so important. That is a part of the gospel. The gospel is preached to you, he says, and then he goes into the matter of grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We're to try to be like God in every way we can. It, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, what is the impact you're making? Think about what is your work. Are you a divider? Do you cause people to turn against the work that Christ is doing through His church today and get confused because you decide to go off here and go off there and you always make bright remarks and put down comments about me or about the work or some other leader in the work? You don't help people by that. Try to be positive. That doesn't mean you're brainwashed. If you have a sincere problem, come and talk to us. We'll be glad to hear you. And I don't get on people. Ask the office staff. I'll listen to you. I'll try to change if I'm wrong. But we should have a right attitude. So if you call on the Father who judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear or in awe, deep humility, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. As I look back on the lazy days of my life when I was growing up in junior high and high school, it was a lot of fun, but we just wandered around and I remember we got to see all the movies in Joplin and when we'd seen them all and we decided, well, let's go over to Web City and maybe we can find something more exciting in Web City or Carthage or somewhere over there. And we were carnal young men, of course, looking for sex and looking for excitement and violence and so on. And uh, I remember one time we thought there's a real hot movie that's going to be real sexy playing over in Web City. It was called Mom and Dad. So we all got there and got in the darkened theater, us little boys, 16 years old or whatever we were, and we were ready. 
and the movie came on, and within five minutes, we just, oh, no. It was mom and dad, but it was about venereal disease. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> venereal disease. We, 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 we didn't come to watch something about venereal disease. We, we wanted to watch some hot, sexy movie. And we had a lot of violence around Joplin. It was very exciting when I grew up. But, you know, just, just uh, our aimless conduct. The Second World War was raging, and we had 55,000 uh, troops, including commissioned and non-commissioned officers down in Camp Crowder. And so they'd come up on weekends, and one time uh, we had uh, all this crowded downtown area that's all abandoned now. All the action is out to the edge of town now, but it's really crowded downtown. And uh, this, this uh, as we came by in Carter McKee's station wagon, there were about six of us. We were football players. We thought we were real tough. We weren't real big, but we were in good shape. And uh, so uh, this uh, man had this woman down on the sidewalk, and he was slapping her and she was yelling and I said Carter he was on the inside then he said pull into the line twip around the corner because I'd been boxing and I was going to jump out first and save this woman so we can jump out on the curb and so we jumped out but then we were disappointed because now he was on the ground and she was hitting him with her shoe (laughs) and they were having their family fight on Saturday night and they were both about half drunk so okay what do you do now so we got in the station wagon and went, looked for some more excitement somewhere else. <laughs> our aimless conduct received from our father looking for excitement in the world of our human ancestors and this world. So we were not redeemed by silver or gold from that foolishness, but with the precious blood of Christ, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, Christ, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, brethren, Christ is so much a part of the gospel and the precious blood of Jesus Christ is absolutely fundamental to the good news. The gospel of Christ and his shed blood our reconciliation to God through Him, and the coming kingdom of God. And just like salt and pepper, they go together. Like man and woman, they go together. They're all part of the same whole. So we have to understand that and not leave one out at all. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, notice here, the scripture we've often read, but I want to expound this passage a little more thoroughly. Paul wrote in verse uh, 7, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Well, what are we to do? We're to follow Mr. Armstrong as the human leader in the Philadelphia era. And he told us again and again, as I'll comment later, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say follow me just any old way because some of his sayings were not frankly inspired and some of them were just wrong. I mean, he had his own ideas about things, just like I do on occasion. And if we quote from the Bible, that's not wrong, but I remember just kind of funny things and we'd smile. He said many times, real loud to that same deep voice, He said, brethren, onions will wreck any stomach. Ooh, onions. 
My wife just loves to put onions in our salads, you know, so we eat onions. But onions do not wreck any stomach, and any nutritionist will tell you that. But he somehow was bothered by onions, so he would say those things and other things like that, of course, occasionally. He didn't have any great, huge spiritual sin. I mean, he just had things like that. So we don't follow every aspect. One of our uh, uh, district superintendents in a big city up in the Midwest began to teach all the men under him. He had quite a gang of them, frankly. And they began to be told, and all the elders up there and deacons were told, were to follow the apostle. Now, the apostle, Mr. Armstrong now, drives Chrysler products. So you're all supposed to get Chrysler products. Well, some of them had Ford pickups or Ford sedans or General Motors Chevrolets or whatever. Were they supposed to all sell their cars and take a loss? Two or three different ones called me. It was more than one as I was directed the ministry. And I called him and I said, George, his name was not George, but I said, George, I said, Mr. Armstrong doesn't mean it that way. Oh, yeah, we're to follow Mr. Armstrong. I said, no, if you make you feel better, I'll go down the hall and ask him. And I was very close to him in those days as I was directed the ministry and, and uh, talked to him all the time. So I just walked down the hall and as it usually happened, uh, I'd bang on the door and say, Mr. Armstrong, it's Rod. This is before he had a secretary to say, come on in. So I came in and I told him, he said, well, no, Rod, you know I don't think like that. And he said it just like that. I'll never forget it. He says, I don't mean they're to follow me like that. He said, I'm talking about spiritual things and the teachings of God. He says, they don't need to have a tailored suit. He says, I have one shoulder less than another and I have to wear tailored suits and I wear this brand of shoes and they don't all have to same, wear the same brand of shoes or the same kind of suits I wear. They don't have to drive the same. I said, I know, I just wanted to hear it from you. So I called the guy back and I told him that. I told him fairly forcefully because he was kind of hard-headed <laughs> and I think he, he got the point. I didn't hear anything more about it. But they were trying to follow Mr. Armstrong on every single thing he did. And he did not mean that. He did not mean that. So, but also today, and I'm not of Mr. Armstrong's stature, and I'm the first one to say so, but I'm the one Christ has used for 14 years now to raise up this work. If I'm going to jump the track, you should have figured it out by now. Okay? In about three weeks, we'll have our 14th anniversary. I don't think we'll have some big celebration. Maybe we'll have wait every five years or something, but 14 years. And so I've been teaching a lot of you, the main one you've been hearing for 14 years. And God has used me, and God in His mercy did use me to teach more ambassador college Bible classes than any human being in this age. Now, maybe that's all an accident. Or maybe God is in charge. Every hair of every head is numbered. And he guided that for some reason because I have a very plain way of speaking. And at any rate, that's what happened. Herman Hay began teaching a year before I did, but he had to quit teaching about 1971 or two because the plain truth responsibilities got so heavy, he quit. Raymond Menere was off in the field up in Eugene and Portland and then back in St. Louis and Chicago and then on to England for two years before the college there ever began. And those eight years I was teaching. And then he went off to New Zealand for about four years and I was still teaching. Many other, I could name the names of the different ones and I've just gone through that. I didn't do that years ago, but as times have gone on and I began to think, well, what did God do with me? Or uh, It's come to mind and I'm several have encouraged me to write my autobiography, which I thought of doing would be helpful and as I thought, I thought, well, God in His mercy let me do these things. 
So I have taught more ambassador college classes, and God tells you, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you. And I have spoken the word of God to perhaps more people over a longer period of time than anyone except the Armstrongs, whose faith follow, follow our faith. You don't need to follow me in my peculiarities. <laughs> Everybody has peculiarities, so you don't need to follow me in those, but follow me as I follow Christ and follow Mr. Armstrong as he followed Christ. Considering the outcome of their conduct, I was ordained an evangelist, and about 10 days from now, it'll be four, uh, 54 years. And have I ever gone off teaching heresy? No. Have I ever gone off committing adultery or stealing or doing other some horrible thing? No, not one time. I'll just say that before God and Christ, I haven't done those things. Have I had other sins? Yes. I have vanity, selfishness, lust, and greed, and foolish things. And sometimes I fuss at my wife. Sometimes I fuss at the dog. Sometimes I slam the door. Sometimes I get impatient. I'm impatient. I want it done right now. And I have a lot of sins, and God knows that. But at any rate, you follow me as I follow Christ, and I have taught you the truth for these last 14 years. And you know that. Those of you who've been around, and I've never varied from that. Considering the outcome of their conduct, then he reminds us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, he doesn't change. Jesus Christ never mentioned the words make up or any of these other things that we're coming up with. It is not part of his teaching or even the Old Testament statutes. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. You see, different people come up with a lot of odd things. As you know, some of our ministers in Worldwide went off and they thought they were sort of spirit beings off in the planets or stuff, just crazy stuff and also other odd doctrines too. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Yes, we're to have grace through Jesus Christ and not by foods. See, people get into foods or makeup or physical things. If they can get some physical thing to somehow get strict on that, somehow that can make them feel, feel more holy than the other people who don't get hung up on those small things. That's often the motive. I can't say it always is, but I know that is often the case. So let your heart be established by grace, not by foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So remember, Christ is the same. And the basic truths of God we teach are the same. And Mr. Apartheid and I have been in God's church longer than any of the leaders of any of these other Church of God groups by far. I don't want to name their names, but I'll just tell you that. they don't, He would not even recognize some of these guys if he saw them on the street. But... Anyway, you have to figure that out. We're trying to follow him as he followed Christ, but not make a religion out of Armstrongism. And we'd better be careful, brethren. We'd better be careful doing what Mr. Armstrong told us not to do. Don't try to make a Jesus Christ out of Mr. Armstrong. He was not perfect, and he didn't claim to be. And if you start worshiping him, one man said, pointed to these books. He said, I believe every word of those books, meaning Mr. Armstrong's books and booklets up there. Well, that's nice, but there were some errors in there. And I've helped clean up many of those errors over the years. And, and there are still some errors even as he died, frankly, that I know about. If he were still alive, I'd talk to him and he would listen. 
back in 1955 or 6, whenever it was, uh, Herb Schrader, the English teacher, and Jerry Miller, a senior student, very emotional and, and very super religious, they got all upset because Mr. Armstrong had copied a lot from uh, Judas Scepter and Joseph's birthright, this old booklet about the Israel, the identity of Israel, and he hadn't changed it very much because he was in a hurry. He says, fellas, I was just, I'm doing everything like a one-armed paper hanger. I had to write all the booklets and do the telecast, and he put that together. So Herman Hay and I helped him rewrite the booklet. And then several revisions have been made since. You get his old article. Some of you older brethren have seen that. Um, I can't even remember the title. Millions do not know what Jesus Christ really was or who Jesus Christ really was. A big, major, plain truth article. And does Mr. Bryce believe every single word of that? Well, I hope he does, but I wrote it. <laughs> Mr. Armstrong had to go off to, to England or to the Middle East, he and Dick and Ted and, and his wife, and, and he had this outline, but he didn't have time to write the article, and he gave it to Herman Hay and me, and Herman often would write some for him, and he said, you do it this time, I'm too busy, and so I wrote the whole thing on a rickety, uh, it was a rickety card table at Restmore Courts, in Big Sandy, uh, later on they had the Glade Motel in in uh, Gladewater, but they didn't even have this as Restmore Courts, and the air conditioning wasn't working, and so I literally was writing it in my undershorts sitting on this, and they sent it back to Elva Russell in my scribble. Now Mrs. Richard said the object, you could talk to her, as you may remember that, and she typed it from my scribble, and it appeared the next month in The Plain Truth. I wrote every word of it. I've written many things for Mr. Armstrong over the years. I've worked with him very, very closely. I know the man, love the man, honor the man, but I don't worship him. And he did not worship me anyway, either, by the way. <laughs> we both we both have tried to teach people to worship Jesus Christ. Don't worship a man. Somehow human beings want to worship a man. That's kind of odd, but they just do. So we've got to get over that. So... uh Mr. Armstrong did not want people to worship him, and he said a number of times, in fact, he did not want his writings canonized as Ellen G. White's writings. This woman prophetess in the Adventist, you know, they made her writings into kind of a New Testament, like they're inspired. No, his writings are not like that, and he didn't intend that. But anyway, we should not do that. That does not honor him, and it certainly does not honor Christ. But Mr. the living church follows Mr. Armstrong as he told us to. And we will continue to do that. We will follow him as he followed Christ. But he always, as Nick Ames says about this current thing, he said Mr. Armstrong was innovative and forward-looking, and he would grow, and he changed on Pentecost, and he changed on makeup three different times. He changed on divorce and remarriage. He changed on his approach to healing. Boy, if you heard the old sermons, you'd see how he changed. He changed on lots of things, brethren. He didn't just say, it's just like that, like, like the Ten Commandments set in stone. He did not do that. So please don't you do that and don't follow anyone that does do that. That was not the true Mr. Armstrong. That's Mr. Partian. He knows that too. So we do not adulate Mr. Armstrong, but we honor him and we worship and adulate Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In Ephesians chapter 4, notice what God tells us here. Ephesians, if you turn back there, uh, I want to pick this up. A familiar passage, but we should read it. 
Paul writes in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner, he was in prison with a ball and chain around his legs, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Don't be anxious to just find some loose brick and break off. You see, when you do that, brethren, when this guy up in Michigan did that and started a little group on the Internet, nobody had ever heard of him, and still a lot of you may not even know his name, but he just disappeared. Another guy out west started something a while back, and he sort of disappeared. And other guys through the several years have done that. They just sort of disappear. What do they do, though? They not only disappear, but they take away usually a dozen or five or twenty dozen people, and then they hurt the effort of the work of God because they divert the tithes and the offerings and the prayers and the fellowship of those people who could be used to help the work of God go forward, and they simply hurt and diminish the main effort of the work of the living church of God to reach this whole world with the gospel of the kingdom of God. They're doing damage to the work that Christ is doing. You see, plus they hurt themselves and their eternal reward. Christ is right now preparing a team, a team of unified, dedicated, surrendered individuals to be kings and priests in God's kingdom. He wants us to be surrendered. He wants us to follow, you know, his leadership as, as we follow Christ. Because if you say, well, I'm going to go here and I'm going to all go, he doesn't want that. He's going to be creating a whole bunch of Lucifers. You get into God. Well, here's the way I look at it. Well, I'm going to go over here. He can't have that in his kingdom, brethren. If Christ is upset with me, he can remove me so quick. It's just amazingly quick, especially now I'm 76 years old and have various things wrong with me. He could take me out so quick and make your head swim. I know that. I know that. Christ is alive. He's in charge. It's his church. And he will guide and use us wonderfully if we have a right spirit. But he wants us to be a loyal team to work together and do his work together. And so he says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, not always finding something to fuss at. There is one body, not all kinds of different bodies, one spirit. You see, one basic attitude that we should all have. We may vary a little bit. Some of our ladies may wish not to wear makeup. That's all right. Some may wish to wear it. Some of our young men may want to lift a whole lot of weights and look in the mirror. If they look in the mirror at their, at their lats and their biceps, and then, you know, if they do that too much, that's vanity too. They shouldn't do that. I don't do that very much because there's nothing to look at anymore. <laughs> okay. If you get older, you don't do that as much. <laughs> but anyway, some of our people have these various forms of vanity. So don't do that. So one body, one spirit, one attitude of loving God, the Ten Commandments, following that way of life, just as you were called, and one hope of your body, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And if that one God, through His Holy Spirit, is living in us, you see, through His Spirit, then we will pull together we will see the big picture the same way. We may have little variations. Maybe Mr. Wayne Pyle will bear, wear one brand of suit and I'll wear another. Or maybe some guy will drive a different kind of car than another. Christ is not concerned about that. He's concerned about us following his spiritual example. 
Verse 11, He, God or Christ, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We're to try to build you up till we all come to what? Fighting and confusion and just breaking up into all kinds of little groups. Does that honor God? No, that does not honor God. So we're to be growing till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, trying to reflect Jesus Christ the best we can in our body, mind, personality, and character. And all of us can't have the same strengths in every way. I have a different personality. I'm more intense, and I've got to do the best I can with what I have to do with. And some of you ladies have a softness and a kindness and a gentleness and a love that I don't have. But I've got to try to project that part of Christ's personality the best I can. And when it comes to doing battle spiritually, you ladies, you need to stiffen up your spine and say, okay, I'm not going this way, you know, because you'll be ruling as kings and priests in a few years too as spirit beings. But we reflect it in a different way in this physical life with our physical bodies that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Well, I think this and I think that. Always these opinions by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they wait, uh, lie in wait to deceive. But speaking of the truth, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. That's Bible. Going according to that, not what men get. Say, well, Mr. Armstrong, I think Mr. Armstrong meant this. No, he didn't in a lot of these cases at all, as I've shown you. But the point is not what they think Mr. Armstrong said, but what God tells us in His Word. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to Him who is the head, Christ. So it all revolves around Jesus Christ, our Savior, our living active head over the church of God, our high priest, we go to God the Father through him and pray in his name, and our coming king, for he will soon come to earth as king of kings and lord of lords. So we want to have a very deep and profound feeling about that. Turn back now, if you would, to Matthew 28, at the very end of Jesus Christ's ministry, when everything was nailed to the cross, here's his message. <clears throat> Matthew 28, verse 18. Then, after his resurrection, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, brethren, we can't do that if we're all split up arguing about who wears makeup and who uh, thinks we ought to observe unleavened bread a little more strictly than others. Some think you've got to look under every single blanket in your house and and uh, spend five hours on everything in every room. Well, if that's fine if you want to do that. Then others do it a little bit less and try to learn the spiritual lessons, certainly cook the leaven out, but also try to uh, get sin, spiritual sin out of your lives. You see, that's the big lesson there. We all have different approaches to some of these smaller points. But it would split us all up. Well, we can't preach the whole, reach the whole world. He says, go unto all the world, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. 
Christ will be with us. He has been with us. And as these events in the world begin to unfold, you will see that more and more. This little tiny work will have more and more power and more and more impact on this world. And that will happen if we keep on our present track. It's beginning to happen right now. Lo, I am with you always. He will be with us even to the end of the age. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks here throughout about the resurrection from the dead in this marvelous chapter, our ultimate hope to be made spirit beings in God's kingdom, in God's family. And at the very end, he says in verse 58, and we've got to do this, brethren, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Don't be shaken all the time, but this idea and that idea, be steadfast. God wants you to be a steadfast team, a loyal team, not always being upset about every little problem and and ready to jump here and jump that. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We have a work to do, and let's be about our Father's business with zeal, and we'll be laying up treasure in heaven when we do that. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The reward you'll be given, a glorified spirit body, and Christ's coming kingdom is magnificent. And you all know that. Let's go full blast toward that reward and fulfill the purpose for which God created us, the purpose for which God called us, and the purpose for which God has been blessing us already.